Hey guys, I just want to tell you a little bit about our Podcasts app which is now live on the App Store. It's the world's first audio-driven app for experiencing medicine. Every week you can step into the shoes of doctors with an engaging case and quiz. Download now and have a look for yourself. Let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In podcast. This week I'm super excited. I'm like a a fan girl. We have with us today Dr. Lewis Potter who some of you may know is the founder of Geeky Medics as well as a GP trainee. I don't really need to go into great depth of what Geeky Medics is. It is probably the lifeline and the reason as to why so many of us are doctors today. And most having just spoken to Lewis before we started, they've had more than 100 million views on the incredible work they're doing. So it really really is a massive pleasure to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Well, good. We're super excited. I think when I told Ams, like, you know, I discovered your, your tweet on my Twitter and sent a message and I was like, wait, we need to get him. Like, we created this podcast <laughs> to share stories like yourself. And I was praying, I hope he does, I hope he does it because he's probably super busy. Uh, but yeah, here we are today. Um, and what we really want to do is we want to find the journey. We want to hear your story um, up until what you've accomplished today. Um, so if you don't mind sharing with us, take us all the way back to when you were young, Lewis, and you wanted to become a doctor and start from there, if you don't mind. Oh, it's getting further and further away <laughs> as we, uh, as I, as I age. But, <laughs> so young Lewis, so it's not a really romantic story about wanting to do medicine, unfortunately. Mm. So I, um, I'm from Middlesbrough originally and from quite a deprived area within Middlesbrough. So medicine wasn't really anything that was even on my mind or a possibility. I'd never really heard of it. It sounds ridiculous to say now, but I just hadn't. And I didn't know anyone who did that. So when I went to college for the open day, I wanted to do IT uh, because I was uh, obviously interested in IT and I was helping to fix computers as like my little side gig or side hustle as they call it now I guess um <laughs> so I, I went with the intention of doing that but actually on the open day I was told I couldn't do it because I didn't have a GCSE in IT uh because weirdly I'd chosen IT at school and then the teacher had left so they'd switched it to business studies so I ended up getting like a GNVQ in business studies rather than uh, my GCSE so on that day on the open day they sort of said what else do you like and I said, well, I like, you know, science. And uh, mm. they were like, okay, like, do you want to be like a, a researcher? And I said, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's kind of me. I'm not sure if I want to be in a lab. And they said, oh, what about like medicine? And I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I've ever seen myself as like a pharmacist. Because I thought that's what medicine mm. was. Because, I, you know, medicine, <laughs> medicines, I guess. Yeah. And uh and they said, no, it's been a doctor. And I was like, oh, like it was weird. I remember thinking, oh, you can like, I don't know how I thought doctors were made before then, but uh, yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh yeah, that sounds good. What would I need to do for that? And they sort of said, you know, you need to do biology, bit of maths, bit of chemistry. So I chose my A-levels sort of on that day based on that. And then, you know, once I knew that there was an opportunity there, I was then passionate and, and thought it would be like a really cool thing to do. Uh, and obviously I was a little bit sad that I couldn't do the IT side of things, but hey ho and uh yeah so then i i did my a levels and got into uh, med school at newcastle university and i remember you know even the application process there's so much like imposter syndrome that i'm sure a lot of people have experienced mm -hmm. but especially being from a background where like my parents hadn't ever been to university and i didn't really know anyone i didn't you know and there's all these prep courses and stuff that i just totally wasn't aware of so i naively showed up yeah. to these interviews not having really prepared uh so i didn't get into a few of the universities that i got offers for straight off the bat um and my newcastle interview went okay but uh i, I remember them asking about teamwork and how and leadership mm. you know all of the sort of things that i should have prepped for but just didn't know i had yeah. to um mm. and i remember sort of saying oh well i run a uh, online clan on a game called halo on xbox and uh, that involves a lot of planning to, you know, to win the match. Mm. And I remember being sort of midway through the sentence thinking, what are you doing? You're completely <laughs> ruining your one chance to get into medical school. But for some reason, yeah. they let me in anyway. So, uh, oh, wow. so 
<laughs> yeah, and that's, that's how I ended oh, up as a there, there must have been a gamer as well. <laughs> yeah, I was a gamer, yeah. <laughs> no, that's interesting. Um, so it seems, and we'll probably talk about this a bit later on, so it seems you are always a tech enthusiast. Um, Absolutely. Kind of wanted to kind of pursue that role, mm-hmm. and it's not something that kind of later developed or kind of fell into suddenly. Um, just want to touch on that bit where, I think similar to me and Ams, like this concept of what it makes to be a doctor was a bit oblivious to us, medicine, even to today, a lot of family members, when I say I did medicine, think I'm a pharmacologist or someone that works in a pharmacy. Um, How did you navigate that period in your life where you knew you wanted to become a doctor, get into med school, not having any mentors? What did you find that helped you? Um, Just in case there are other people in a similar situation to you. Yeah, so my college... um... I think within my college, there was like two of us applying for medicine uh, in in the year group. And I just sort of, I relied really on like my chemistry teacher and my biology teacher who didn't know a lot about, you know, applying for medicine, but they were more savvy than me and they sort of knew how it worked. So they said, you know, you should do some placements um, if you can. Uh, So I worked in like a local care home. to things to talk about an interview I actually didn't end up talking about them as I said but these was that was the plan and I was lucky in that the uh, college had one place to work in like the local hospital in ICU for like a few days just as like work experience um, and I we sort of the two of us applied for it and I was lucky that I got it um, so that really sort of I think emboldened me wanting to do medicine at that point because once I actually saw what what being a doctor involved like you know shadowing doctors and seeing all of these cool things they were doing um I, I totally at that point i was like wow this is an amazing career and there's so many opportunities um i remember watching someone do sort of a bedside tracheostomy and being like wow one day wow. i'd love to do that yeah. obviously now i definitely would never want to do that but kind of fast forward you kind of got this interview ended up talking about halo i imagine you got the offer how was med school um, for you, that experience of kind of growing up in a very deprived area, um, coming to med school, how was medical school for you? Yeah, I, I remember the first few weeks feeling really, really lonely. Um, it was just that kind of mm-hmm. imposter syndrome again. And I was very conscious of my accent um, that was very mm-hmm. different to a lot of the people there. And I felt, I just didn't feel well-spoken like a lot of the people there. Um Mm. And I remember that I was very conscious of that. And the other thing that I was just really intimidated by was because these people, you know, from my opinion, spoke so well, I just felt intellectually, you know, I must be completely inferior to everyone. And what am I doing here? I'm never going to be able to compete and pass exams. Um, And the other thing that was playing on my mind was that um, (laughs) when we had the first sort of clinical exam coming up, which is like, you know, Mm. like a practical OSCE, I was absolutely terrified about that because my only previous experience of a practical exam was my driving test and I failed six times. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Hey, I, I, I know someone trust you in a car, man. Wait. I tend to keep that I quiet. Didn't, I, didn't that but, uh... yeah, yeah. I did not expect that. Okay. So, <laughs> you know what? Congratulations. Just for I've never shared that publicly before, so uh, there you go. Yeah, uh, okay. yeah so th- those are the things I remember going through my head. And the other thing was that my whole sort of revision strategy at college was to go yeah, through yeah. past papers and basically, mm. you know, memorize mark schemes so that when I was in the exam, you know, I'd see a question and I'd be like, oh, yeah, that question was in 2005 in the summer. Yeah. And I could sort of and see the answers in yeah. my head and write them out. Yeah. So I could perform really well on the exams, but <laughs> that strategy just didn't work at medical school. Um, unfortunately. Mm. So I had to, on the first mock, I remember I didn't perform particularly well, but then once I sort of adapted my revision strategy and I started to, you know, do okay on exams and realized that, you know, I could do just as well as anyone else on the course. And that helped a bit of that imposter syndrome to, you know, decrease a little at least. In terms of the idea of fitting in, I think that's something that myself and Abdul can also relate to because it comes as a shock. I think medicine is a very prestigious um, course and you get people from different corners of the planet essentially ending up there and they're very well educated, very sort of high up as well. Um, how How did you go about exactly sort of 
fitting in to the community, fitting into the societies, fitting in to the curriculum? Mm. What did you do or so think, how did you adapt yourself? I think the ways that I ended up, you know, I, I met a few people in the first, after the first couple of weeks. I remember like eating lunch on a bench by the river on my own for like two weeks. And uh, there was one guy who was talking to me and he kind of felt lonely too, but then he quit. Mm. So then there was just me left. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I was thinking, oh, maybe I should quit actually. Maybe this isn't for me. But then I, at the time, had launched like a YouTube channel. Um, this was oh, like nice. early doors YouTube. Uh, back, so that mm. was back in uh, around 20, 2007. And mm. uh, I was reviewing technology products. Um mm. And also doing these videos where it was like um, Halo characters, but with voices dubbed over them that I was dubbing. It's called machinima. It's like a form of, it's like an art form. So I would create these little scenarios, all very silly. But uh, I was Mm. doing these things on YouTube and people started using some of the, like watching some of those videos and people were like, oh yeah, I watched your, you know, you review the uh, iPod shuffle or, you know, this gaming headset, Mm. that was cool. So I made a few mm. friends from yeah. people being like, oh, you know, you, you're into tech. So I think that helped yeah. me sort of break the ice with people that were very, you know, from very different backgrounds to me. We had some of those things yeah. in common. Um, Similar interests. Yeah. Kind so of I think that helped. Touching on that. Yeah. So this fascination with tech and kind of wanting to pursue, where did that start from? What do you love about tech? Um, I'm... I enjoy tech, but I don't understand it for the life of me. I find it super complicated. I tried to learn Python the other day and I gave up. Um, like, tell us a bit more about He tech. said Python in a day. I'm just going to... Yeah, exactly. How offensive is that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. Your, your expectations can <laughs> be framing there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, it was a four-hour YouTube video on, on, the, on the beginnings of Python. Uh, but tell us a bit more about tech and like what it's meant to you and how you kind of developed an interest and passion in that yeah so i think you know i i've from what i remember from getting like the first family pc it's like a second-hand pc from a friend uh, who was selling it um i sort of got into gaming initially and then when the internet Mm. when we first got internet and uh i remember just being completely blown away by the fact that you could uh like msn messenger somebody else at school that was totally mind-blowing i bizarrely I kind of remember connecting for the first time like really vividly because it was such an amazing thing you know people don't think twice about it now but um and you know my parents couldn't use the telephone at the same time that I was on the internet you know oh you had the dialogue <laughs> what is the dialogue where you just like makes those weird noises yeah you, you just hear like fax about. machine noises yeah, basically that. yeah <laughs> to be fair we still have fax machines in yeah, NHS, that's NHS. NHS. <laughs> so, just, so not and a lot of people they kind of have the tech and they give it up where you're always kind of up to date with all the latest technology all the latest things that are coming um has that always been the case with you no for me i remember like when the iphone came out and i don't know if i'm allowed to say it like you know when you jailbreak and do all of this stuff mm-hmm. and then I, I completely stopped doing that have you always kind of been up to date with it all yeah so i mean i i've always i think particularly since I started in college and podcasting launched around that time that I started in college uh, in like 2005 they added podcasting to iTunes podcasting is really hot at the moment like it's a new thing but it's 15 years old um, so I, I got really into podcasts then and it was a really obscure thing to be in at that point and I was listening to like uh, technology shows in the US that were talking about all of these like burgeoning startups and you know small companies and the journey of you know companies like google etc and i was totally fascinated by by those stories because it was like another world um and the startup scene you know is really strong in the uk now and but at that time like there just wasn't that kind of interest you couldn't like start up a conversation with most people about oh have you seen that you know google's you know released this new product or you know has raised this money or has made this interesting hire so i was like in my own little world listening to these podcasts and they almost felt like they were my friends because i'd listened to these podcasts so much um so i was always sort of interested in the bleeding edge of technology and uh i remember when the iphone came out uh and i really wanted one but i just couldn't afford one at the time um so and i think it was the following year i think it was like my 21st birthday because i remember that we were having a party in the garden and I was upstairs watching like Steve Jobs announce the iPod Touch um, on like the, the live stream on one of the gadget blogs. 
because I knew that it, if there was an iPod Touch that had similar features, I could afford that uh, and I wouldn't have to pay for like a um, monthly fee or whatever. And yeah, I got really into jailbreaking and things and I became known for it within my course. That's how I made a lot of friends as well because I would be sat at the back of the lecture and people would bring up their phone and I would to jailbreak, jailbreak it. it for them. That's what I used to do. Yeah. I remember, um, oh, I don't even know if we're going to get in trouble for saying it, but I'm going to say it. Like, I don't know, I'm like jailbreaking is basically like you get to get all the paid apps for free. And I remember at the time there were like a bunch of minicab drivers um, in my local area and I was like, yeah, for 20 quid, I'll get you Tom Tom, which is worth 70 pounds. And there was like a line of them. <laughs> and I just like churn it out. And I think that's where this... So this you can whole, see where the entrepreneurship yeah, side comes out. Criminality, entrepreneurship. But I know exactly that buzz and kind of doing and kind of sitting in a corner and just getting on with it. Um, I'm going to stop there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I, I remember <laughs> that yeah. I had... Because you could basically download the entire text database of Wikipedia because the iPod Touch yeah. didn't work with university Wi-Fi at the time because it was some kind of enterprise Wi-Fi um, mm, standard yeah. that it wasn't yet compatible with. So I jailbroke it and then had the whole Wikipedia database, just the text, not the images, on the iPod Touch. Mm. And you could then like search for topics. So I would use that to like revise, to like review topics. And it was mm. like amazing. So I had this like, I had basically Wikipedia, but offline. Um, yeah. That was probably the, the best thing that I... Uh, I did, but yeah. So I was always into that kind of technology um, scene, and kind of have si- since I, I like to sort of live in the future of what's coming, what's going to be coming in the next five to ten years. Um, and it's amazing when you see this yeah. stuff reach the mainstream, and you think, "Wow, like it's here." Um, it's not. It's yeah, not just a geeky little thing that I'm listening. Yeah, it. it's not an obscure podcast I'm listening to anymore. It's here, yeah. and my mum knows about it. <laughs> um, so m- moving on a little bit now. So t- tell us about how tech and then your passion for educating for teaching all of that sort of came about and then fused together yeah so i i think uh so i'd had the projects the youtube projects that i talked about before the technology reviewing Mm. and i sort of stopped doing that because the comments on youtube as you've probably noticed can be pretty toxic and uh when, when you're talking yourself on camera like i'm an introvert by nature so it was already felt like a big yeah. thing to be doing and people would you know take you know just say things about my voice or i remember somebody said that i spoke like i had a bread bun in my mouth at all times and i think that was the final straw oh, wow. uh, and <laughs> I, I sort of lost motivation for it so i, I stopped doing that but then I, I i still very much had like a hunger to do a technology project so yeah I, I, um, at that point I was learning about like web, setting up a website and there was WordPress, which is, you know, I think it powers like 30% of the internet at this point, but it was fairly small Mm. back then. Mm. Um, but it allowed you to sort of get a blog up and running without having to be like super techie. So I'd done, I'd like made a blog of my own, um, which obviously nobody read, um, and I was trying to think, you know, what else could I do? And at the time, I was like in fourth year of med school, revising sort of key topics um, and making notes um, like in Word during the lectures. And I thought it'd be really good if I could put these mm. up on, like get a website set up and then put these up there and then shit so that the people could access them without me having to like, you know, email them to them. So... And at the time, I was also really interested in pixel art, which is this old school video game style artwork. I was making, yeah. you know, mm. random little things with that. And I'd also always been interested in video production because at school I was part of the drama club and I would, you know, film productions basically and like edit them. Um, but yeah. back when it was like a tape camera. Oh, God, I feel so old. Yeah. But um, oh. so basically I had all, I had, I was interested in medicine, obviously. I wanted to have a website. Yeah. I liked pixel art and I liked video production. Yeah. So I launched like a first version mm. of Geeky Medics as like a blog. And on there... Where did that name come from? I'm just a bit curious. Yeah, well, I, I think initially I wanted geekymedic.com, as in me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was taken by like some random like computer fixing company. So ah, okay. I, I chose Geeky Medics, but I'm really glad that I did because... That's way, yeah, it's way better say, yeah. because then it's an include obviously at that point i wasn't imagining in a, cu- a community um so it yeah. didn't really make sense but it's you know we've grown into that name because it, it's about everyone in a community rather than me being mm. a geeky medic 
so yeah, That's so really, it was a yeah. bit of a, a bit of a fluke, really. Yeah, I think it's probably it's probably one of the best things to ever come up. And I I like the pixelated art. It was synonymous for geeky medics. It kind of added to branding, and it's like yeah, th- this is like geeky medics. How was that transition? So as you progress through med school, it gets a bit tougher. Finals are coming up. You're probably close to foundation training. Was there a point where you kind of stopped working geeky medics, focused on med school, or is it something that you've been doing simultaneously growing? Yeah. Um, so it's it's always been a challenge to balance the two. But what I would try and do whenever possible was align them. So if I needed to, mm. you know, learn about glomerular nephritis. I would do that by creating an article on the topic and then that would benefit Geeky Medics and it would benefit me um, as well. So wherever I could sort of do that, it was a bit of a hack to to keep moving forward. Um, And Mm. at that point, I just started, because I originally just launched with my notes on the website. uh, And then Mm. there was no, there was basically no clinical skills videos for free online. There was one Mm. company selling access to them, but they were terrible videos. Um, mm. so I convinced two friends to act in the first couple of videos that Colin and Andy, and, uh, yeah. it was cardiovascular and respiratory examination. And it was a big, well, the infamous video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man. I know, ex- I know exactly yeah. which video. I know off my heart. Like, that is pure Oscar, right? Yeah. I used to watch that video and then did a lecture. For Everyone like, had it on their phones loaded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we didn't, obviously didn't expect that to be the case, but I it was a big ask yeah. really because YouTube at the time, like now obviously every medical student in the world has got a YouTube channel, it seems. But at yeah. that point, like it was like a weird thing to do. Like people, mm. our concern was that we would be told off for, for professionalism for being online. You know, one one of them had to take the yeah. top off. Uh, so you know, yeah. I, and I, so I was asking for a lot of trust. I was basically saying, you know, I need you to let me film you in a small room with your tops off, and you're going to be touching each other, mm. and I'm going to put that on the internet. Yeah. So it's you know, on its surface, <laughs> it's a bit of a leap of faith. Yeah. Um, yeah. But th- thankfully, they agreed, and, and we sort of filmed those, and I edited them and put them up. Um, no. But yeah, you, you'd asked about balancing it. The hardest part, I would mm. say, was once I reached foundation, because it was then much mm. more difficult to like align doing something with geeky medics with because I just didn't have time basically in foundation. Mm. And I remember like being sat at my desk like after like doing an assessment suite shift for like 12 hours try- and thinking I yeah. need to, you know, keep editing this article or like this person's sent me this article that they want on the site or this question and mm. like falling asleep at my desk trying to keep up with it. It was really, really tough. And I, I basically yeah. didn't make a lot of progress. Um, I did manage to film some videos, I think, as I got to the end of F1 and start of F2. Um, which was a bit of a weird setup because mm. I wanted a clinical skills bed but couldn't really afford one at the time. So instead, mm. I bought a massage table and uh, oh my. and then had that in I my bedroom um, that we were yeah. like filming in a corner of my bedroom. I'd like pull my bed out of the way, put the massage table there. Yeah. And that's where we filmed a lot of the sort of second batch of videos. At what point did you kind of realize, okay, we're well, onto something, loads of students are benefiting, did you ever have that moment where like you thought that's it we need to kind of double down get as much content onto the page was there a moment when that occurred to you or has it something just been kind of naturally growing um which was quite interesting to see having i saw that little tweet you did where you know 2010 you had zero views now you're you know above 100 million at what point did you be like okay we're doing something awesome here. Yeah, so I mean, I'd always been, I've always loved working on it and being excited for it. But I think probably when I was like in F2, as I got towards the end of F2, even despite Mm. me in many ways neglecting the website because I just couldn't work on it, it continued to grow. Mm. And I was Mm. like, you know, if this is growing without me really doing a lot, like what, what would happen if I really focused on it? So I decided then that I would, after F2, that I wouldn't go into training. And that I would become mm. like a locum so that I could, you know, locum for a little bit and then have some time off to work in Geeky Medics. So I would like work for a few months and then I would have like a month or two purely on Geeky Medics and I would rent like a desk mm. in a co-working space. Uh, Geeky yeah. Medics at the time was generating a little bit of revenue from YouTube ads, but like 
200 pounds a month so it was like enough to cover the desk that i needed at the co-working space but no more than that so i would like live off the local money whilst working on new content Mm. and filming stuff so i would like drive to various hospitals like rent out rooms and uh film videos so i I made a big push probably Mm. like in my f3 and f4 year of you know Mm. putting out new videos and replacing some of the old videos and thinking about Mm. the direction we were going in but what I realized was, you know, I was basically just eating, uh, you know, I'd made savings as a locum and then I just ate through all the savings. And uh, eventually, you know, I, I went to Australia and worked in A&E there um, in Cairns mm, yeah. for for four months, four or five months. And, and mm. then I was in Melbourne briefly. And then I came back and I thought, well, you know, the, the company, you know, there's lots of views on Geeky Medics, but it's not really covering its costs. Like it's, it's covering its basic yeah. costs, but it's not covering any costs relating to me in my time. And yeah. you've now eaten through all of your savings. So all of my friends were, you know, getting a mortgage for a house on their savings. And I, I just had, uh, yeah. I, I just <laughs> had, had the website, you. you know, which was popular. It wasn't revamped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which every medic was just using, yeah. by the way. Yeah, yeah, nah. yeah, which is fine. Like I didn't, but yeah. I thought, you know what, I need to go back into training. And at, at that yeah. time, like just before I went back into training, we launched the uh, app on iOS um, originally. Mm. And I charged like £1.99 for it as like lifetime access. Yeah. And Apple takes 30% yeah. of that as well. So you get like £1.40. Oh, yeah. We found out the hard way. We found, yeah. yeah <laughs> painful. And uh, so I was like, okay, well, you know, quite a few people bought the app, but it still was like in our best ever month. It was like, 700 pounds or something like and the mm-hmm. you know the app had, i hadn't developed the app myself i'd done all the user interface and all the data input and all of that stuff but the actual yeah. coding and stuff cost money and then when i wanted yeah, to launch yeah. an android i had to i took yeah. out a like a business yeah, yeah. loan with netwest for, to be able to pay the developer to build that in the hope of making that back um yeah and it so basically what i ended up doing is just as i went into training um less yeah. than full time so 60 percent to try and give myself yeah. some time to work on it I, I changed to a subscription model for the app um yeah. and slowly sort of increased the price to see what people were mm. uh, you know as as the app was improving as well um to try and get to yeah. a point where i could you know cover my time and also have like the bandwidth to be able to pay yeah. other people to help me out because yeah it, there was just so much um yeah at one point yeah. there was like 700 emails i hadn't replied to it was awful <laughs> Oh my, oh my god. god. <laughs> At one point so I just declared bankruptcy you're kind of scaling on this. Growing it. <laughs> <laughs> but you never know. I hope it wasn't one of me, you know, yeah. seven hundred emails. At what point did you so I kind of get this point of kind of transitioning because Geeky Medics is an amazing resource and know that whatever you charged, someone like me would have paid. Um and I think as medics we feel a bit awkward at times, you know, charging, not knowing how to do it, not having any business experience. When did you kind of get help on board? Was it something you had to pay for? Were it kind of friends and family that kind of pitched in? How does it go from a one-man team or one-man band to like, I imagine you having a, a community of super cool people right now. Yeah. So How was that transition? Yeah, it's hard to explain it exactly. So I think what basically happened was that for several years, I, you know, I was creating most of the content. Um, and Mm. friends were acting in the videos um, at that time and I I wasn't I didn't pay them at that time because there wasn't any money to pay Mm. them with I did subsequently pay them like as back payments Um, yeah but at some point as we started to generate some organic traction and we had more people on the website people would just like randomly email me and say oh like do you want Mm. you know I'm interested in this topic would you like an article on this topic um or people would email me and say, I'd like to be in a video if you ever need someone. And I, so I yeah. didn't really do a lot of outreach at that point. I was just sort of taking it as it came. And I, it came. That, that was great, but there was, you know, there's a balance to be had. I, I felt sort of obligated whenever anyone would send me an article that I needed to put that on the website because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was too uh, introverted and uh, confrontation averse to say, actually, this isn't very good. And just is such an awful article yeah which you know <laughs> that, that was the case sometimes and it wasn't you know that's mm. i've written plenty of terrible things in the past as well like people mm. just i think just wanted to put something up there to say that it was up there 
And what I was doing was basically rewriting a lot of this content. So, you know, someone would send me something and then I would spend like mm -hmm. six hours of time like rewriting it, but oh, then wow. it would be their name mm -hmm. on it. Um, but I think yeah. actually when I thought about it, it probably was a smart thing to do rather than everything just being plastered with like my name or like two people's names mm. because it, mm. those people were thankful for one. So, you know, it generates yeah. goodwill. And also like, mm -hmm. it's one of these things where it, it sort of gave the appearance of, it made clear that there was a community there. And it, I think probably then people reading articles would then see this random person's name and think, oh, like I could contribute. Um, whereas I think if it had all been me, they maybe wouldn't have had that thought. So eventually we started to get yeah, more people yeah. contribute and we, I was able to be a bit more sort of picky with who we chose and what we chose. Yeah. Um, and, and then, so that's from the sort of content contribution. Now we've got this like, you know, page where people can go and there's topics that they can choose from and they can pitch to cover something. And then we sort of look at their mm -hmm. application to see if they'd be a good fit for that topic and then assign mm -hmm. it to them. So, you know, there's lots of people applying yeah. every day for topics. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. One of no, one of the best parts about really Geeky Medics is that there's this amazing, mm -hmm. vibrant community of people from all over community. the place. It's, yeah. I, I still can't believe yeah, it's amazing. No. That's what gets me up in no. the morning. Um, but awesome. I think um, on the technology side, I basically hired contractors um, to work mm -hmm. and develop various parts of the, the business, um, mm -hmm. and and that was sort of an hourly based thing. So they would, I would say, okay, the app needs to do X, Y, and Z and look like this, and they would send me a quote, mm -hmm. and then I would agree mm -hmm. that quote and pay them just for that limited work. And mm -hmm. on the on the yeah. video editing, I. I continued to film and edit all of the videos. I, I didn't really manage to outsource mm. that, um, but it's, it's something in the future. Maybe I'd like to get someone who was, um, you know, really qualified on the video side to help me with that. So, yeah, I, I want to pick up a little bit on your decision making process and your actual journey itself. Mm. So you went through med school, you did F one, F two, and you decided to jump off of the the treadmill. Mm. Talk to us a little bit about that because we're we're at that stage. We're actually on an F three, yeah. And I think it, it was difficult and because you see your colleagues and you see most people sitting exams, getting on to sort of the, the training pathway, coming out at the other end. But then the, the, we've spoken to so many guests and like yourself as well, we see your passions come alive, your hobbies and everything sort of are in alignment and you, you look a lot happier and there's so much more coming out as well. And we're really attracted to that side as well. So we're on an F3 year and hoping to sort of grow scrubbed in and everything else. Talk to us a little bit about you, Greeky Medics, and we'd like some advice as well. Yeah, so I think it is really tough. Um, I, I felt so burnt out by the end of F2 uh, that I just, I knew I needed at least a year to off that treadmill. Um, but then mm. after one year, I thought, oh, maybe not, why not two? Um, and then, mm. and then when it came around again, I took another year out. So I had three years out of training in that gap. Yeah. And I think I spoke to a lot of people about it. And I, as you say, it's difficult when, you know, you see your friends progressing and becoming registrars. And now at my stage, you know, yeah. my friends are becoming consultants and are consultants mm. and I'm, you know, still the yeah. SHO on the ward thinking, oh my God, what have I done? Uh, I'm still still <laughs> here. Letters and TTOs. <laughs> um, a really awkward moment uh, recently, where a friend who's now a, a consultant wandered onto a ward where I was, you know, doing a cannula, and uh, they said, "Oh, we, oh what are you doing here?" Yeah. And I was like, oh, "Just, you know, still the SHO because I did F, I did F one, <laughs> I did F one with them." And they were like, "How? How is that possible?" Oh, wow. um, yeah. So, but yeah, so. You should have said I'm the consultant doing the cannula. <laughs> it, did, it did cross my mind. My mind, but because I'm a consultant, needs this actually. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so I was going to talk about this as well. It's I love the fact you took time out of training. You took your time with it because you had a vision and purpose in terms of what you wanted to with Geeky Medics. This whole burnout, especially after F two, I remember feeling it. Um, I ended up being on IT for eight months as soon as like COVID kicked in. Um, what advice would you give to other people that are kind of on the cusp of it? Let's say they're on F2 now, that have a passion project, that feel like they're doing something that's really impactful. What advice can you give to them in hindsight, um, having gone through that process and then re-entered training? Yeah, so I think um, there's there's more options available now. But uh, let, me, let me start by saying that when you think about your career arc, ultimately, 
you know, you're going to reach whatever endpoint you're heading to, whether that's being a consultant or a GP. And then you're going to probably, you know, if you're lucky and you're going to get 30 years, maybe 40 years in that role, that's a long time. Mm. So, you know, you spending a few extra years doing other things on the way before you get there. I, when I thought about that, I couldn't imagine ever regretting that. Um, yeah. So, you know, there is short term loss, you know, you loss of earnings maybe and, you know, seeing other people progress faster than you. But it's not a race to the end. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's the phrase that lots of people say, but it, the journey is really important. And like, I think if you're completely, mm-hmm. you know, laser focused on the destination and just everything is just an obstacle in the way to your destination, you forget to actually like enjoy where you are and what you're doing day to day. So I, you know, I, I recommend anyone who's on, who's sort of not sure just to, you know, think about taking some time. And the other option that wasn't really available to me was part-time training. So when I finished yeah. F2, really less than full-time training was only something that, you know, if you had a medical issue or maybe if you had children mm. um, that you could apply for. It wasn't something where you could apply because you wanted to work on a project or you just, you know, you wanted to only work four days a week rather than five. Because, um, mm. I mean, the joke of medical training is, you know, you become 80% less than full-time and you end up still doing 50 yeah. hours a week or something. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think now there is much more um, flexibility around less than full-time training if you go and ask um, the, the various yeah. training programs you're interested in. Um, so that's ultimately what I did. And it was really thanks to the NHS launched a clinical entrepreneur fellowship, which I'd recommend anyone interested, check that out. And yeah. what that does is essentially it's, it's a badge that, you know, there's events that you can go and learn about business and, you know, raising money mm-hmm. if you want and all of those different things and meet other like-minded people. But what was helpful for me is it, it gave some kind of like official badge to what I was doing uh, because whenever yeah. I brought up working on Geeky Medics previously, even when I was a foundation doctor, consultants would mm. often be quite dismissive and say, well, isn't that a distraction from yeah. training? What is it? Why are you mm. just like sat at home in your pajamas working on a website? It was like, it, it <laughs> wasn't like, a, they, they weren't necessarily interested a lot of people. They were just like, ooh. Yeah. yeah, it was quite mm. hostile, the environment towards it. Yeah. I think that's definitely changed quite a lot now. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I, I think if you're if you're hesitant and you're not sure, I know it's hard sometimes with really competitive specialties, um, but mm. if you think about whether whether you can truly imagine yourself regretting, you know, having one or two or three years less as a consultant in the you know in the span yeah. of a thirty-year career, Good. then you know, that, that, just think about that. That's what yeah. that's what kind of convinced me that it was okay. Absolutely. So in terms of now your journey, right? So Geeky Medics is now sitting on over a hundred million views. Um, along that journey, were there any points where you were like, damn, it's not working or a real low point? Um, because I can see clearly you've had a, an awesome journey to where you are now, but were there any sort of pitfalls? Yeah, I mean, there have been <laughs> the entire journey, you know, I talk about how... <laughs> <laughs> the entire journey. <laughs> yeah, you can't say that. Yeah. You can't say that. Yeah, Everyone's going into training yeah, now. <laughs> so I think I found it really stressful um, I, I've loved doing it, but it's also generated a lot of stress, mm. um, both in terms mm. of just, you know, time commitment uh, and guilt that I feel like I'm failing at doing it well um, because I don't have the time. Um, and I think what I was really bad at, particularly, you know, in the first five or six years, was finding like really awesome people who I could delegate to, who could take on some of the roles mm. that I was doing. So I was trying to spin so many plates and not doing a particularly good job at any of them and feeling pretty rubbish about that. And there was a point Mm. um, probably five years ago where I thought about just stopping the whole thing um, because I I was just feeling really stressed about the whole thing. And and I thought, you know, life would probably be easier if I could just maybe call it a day. I don't feel like I'm doing it well. and I, I honestly thought about stopping just because it all felt a bit much. I was working, you know, evenings and weekends constantly on the thing and still feeling yeah. like I wasn't yeah. doing it properly. And people email a lot, you know, saying, why is this broken? Mm. Or like, there's this issue here. Yeah. Or like, why don't you have an article covering this topic or a video covering this topic? Um, you know, and they don't, they mean well, but 
And sometimes people email yeah. as if they're emailing like a, you know, the uh, HR department of Geeky Medics. And, <laughs> like a massive organization. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just my Gmail, you know. I'm like, it's just my Gmail, man. Yeah. Like, give me a break. I'm on nights, but I'll look at it. I'll look soon. <laughs> I'll, look at, I'll look after handover. Yeah. Can you imagine? What kept you going at those moments yeah. when you're super low, yet you love and believe in it, but it just gets overwhelming? What kept you going? So I think this is where... And this is what I always say to people who are thinking about starting something. I think you have to intrinsically enjoy the thing and be interested in it because that is literally the only thing that's left when everything else isn't going great. And, you know, people aren't giving you praise Mm. externally and you have to, you know, just get up and get the thing done. If you at least enjoy, you know, you don't have to enjoy every single element of your project or your business, but if you genuinely enjoy parts of it, then you can keep pushing forward even when it's difficult and I think that's what helped me and probably one of the biggest drivers is knowing that there is this sort of community there and that people yeah people want you to keep doing what you're doing because they find it useful so I I think that provided quite a lot of sort of pressure that pushed me forward when I wasn't yeah I wasn't completely sure and certainly you know friends and uh, my partner and other people when I've been in these sort of holes where I'm like oh is this the right thing they've helped sort of reassure me and and encourage me to keep going and but i think ultimately you need to enjoy what you do because if you're just doing it for some some outcome that you hope happens in in five or ten years time like you're never going to get there because there's so many parts where you think what on earth is going on why am i doing this you need to have that sort of intrinsic joy i think that's sound advice and i think it's it's nice for us to hear it and there are lots of people like you said there's this new generational shift i don't know if you notice where a lot of medical students are kind of becoming startup founders they're all having side hustle side projects which i probably imagine was the case wasn't the case a few years ago even 10 years ago where most medics just kind of you know rushed headfirst into consultancy gp training or surgery and it's probably what you experience when your consultants thinking mm, why are you doing this and i think it was a case with touch surgery as well i don't know if you know yes, their story. yes i know um, those guys yeah where yeah mm-hmm. where i think they kind of had this vision and they wanted to kind of pursue touch surgery and they were trying to get a training number and you know the surgeons are like it's, it's one or the other um so i do feel like there is a generational shift where it's becoming a bit more acceptable and i agree having that intrinsic passion and love for what you do does keep you going i wanted to ask you've been in the, the this med ed game i think it's got a term to it now medical education well before it started i've used it on the wards myself i was telling you before we started i learned how to do ng tube on geeky medics on uncle shift in a little storeroom i got the kit and went and stuck one down you know someone's nose i don't know <laughs> you know it luckily did the job uh-huh. it's been a lifesaver to a lot of people cannulas ng tubes oscars examinations um i've always seen you and inspired by you're always on the cutting edge on the forefront so you've got quizzes you've got flashcards the way you just operate what do you see the future of medical education looking like, um, having been in the world for a while? Yeah, so I think um, it, it's been amazing to see the change in the landscape over the last 10 years from it being, you know, you know very basic and, uh, you know, only a few people really in the game to now, you know, there's such a diversity of resources and platforms. And I think mm-hmm. within medical education, it's not a zero-sum game. I think that the way that students revise and doctors revise, we you don't rely on one source. People go to several places for several different reasons, out of you know personal taste or um, you know mm-hmm. whether they like a user interface better. So I think mm-hmm. what's quite nice is that even though there's you know people always ask me oh there's so much competition how do you feel about that and I think overall that's a really good Mm. thing it's a positive thing because it means that you know I wouldn't want it to be a monoculture where there's one or two platforms and 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 because everyone has different learning styles um and the fact that now you can be catered to regardless of like what you like how you like to learn and so I think that the the sort of scene will become even more um, diverse in terms of platforms that are there. Uh, In in terms of things that are changing, I I think, you know, I was harping on about remote learning um, way Mm. back. Um, 
at the beginning of Geeky Medics and I remember being asked about the future of medical education and it was sort of really out there at the time to say that, you know, most learning will occur asynchronously through resources yeah. online um, rather than yeah. trying to get a load of human bodies into a set cubic meter space at a specific yeah. time to mm. do one-to-many information distribution, yeah. which is essentially what university is a lot of the time. You know, the lecture format mm. can be great, but it's also used, you know, it, it's it's not always the best mechanism of content delivery, in my opinion. Mm, um, sure. um, so, I, And I think we've seen a lot of that because of Exactly, COVID, yeah. I, I think that's say. been massively accelerated. And, and I think that, you know, mm. institutions are having to learn how to deliver content in other formats online asynchronously. And yeah. I think mm. as they up, they're upskilling in that, they're going to realize when, mm. you know, when they don't need to do that, that actually a lot of students would prefer to, you know, review a lecture delivered online, mm. you know, in a online mm. specific format in their own time, rather than actually, you know, being there in the room, because maybe you want to pause. Um, I know that all these productivity, there's a real productivity uh, boom with the, uh, Lots of productivity yeah. gurus now, so maybe you'd want to watch it at two x. Yeah. Uh, I never quite understand that yeah. personally, but that's probably because I'm old. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'm making an anti-productivity video. Too, oh, oh wait, oh, but what about watching films and stuff at three four x? Oh yeah, now? and you know, calls with friends. You know, just accelerate everything. Yeah. Just let's just get to the end point. Let's just get get to death. Yeah, quickly. I, 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 that was my opinion. I, I'm, I'm literally as soon as we finish, I'm going. I'm making a YouTube video on why I need Netflix to be productive. <laughs> That is the title. No, I, I'm telling you. I He's making an anti-productivity yeah, yeah. video today. I, I feel like we need some pushback. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I, I genuinely watch a bit of Netflix. I don't binge, don't get me wrong, unless it's super cool. But I do watch a bit of it to kind of get going. Mm. I, I hate the feeling of having to be productive every second, every moment of my life. I'm probably going to get a bit of stick and hate because I know there is a lot of hype around it. And it's reassuring when individuals like you have achieve so much saying stuff like that and i think a lot of medics are under pressures they're getting a bit of warm i feel like i have i spoke to a few people and it feels like everyone needs to be part of the startup everyone needs to be a co-founder yeah. otherwise you know you're not fit mm. to be a medic anymore and i'm like it's crazy it's just a bit silly do you, do you know what i mean and i don't know if it's something you've also noticed yeah i've seen i've seen um, it over the last few years it's a real um yeah there's a real culture at the moment and this sort of you know, they call it like hustle porn where people are, you know, doing all these things yeah, and yeah. bragging about these things that they're, they're doing. Um, I mean, I think if you enjoy those things, fine. But I think I worry yeah, sometimes that yeah. people, as you say, feel they need, a, you know, if they don't have a side hustle, then, you know, they're not they're not yeah, competing yeah. or, I mean, exactly. you know, I, Geeky Medics to me is, it's, it's a hobby that's also works. So it's kind of confusing yeah. sometimes to know like when I'm mm-hmm. working and when I'm not. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly... I think it's it's really healthy to have time to decompress. And I mean, if you're doing medicine, for sure, for sure it is. And I'm never going to watch Peep Show on 2X because it just wouldn't be the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Tommy made a good point last week on our podcast. Um, he made a point that it's okay and it's, it's, it's awesome to be a very, very good doctor or a very good specialist because the world needs that. We can't have everyone as just co-founders. We need amazing gastroenterologists, yeah. surgeons and so forth. It's what we need and we can't function without it. And I think the pressure has become a, a little bit obscured and it doesn't it, it doesn't balance out everyone is being forced to become a founder when actually we also do need amazing surgeons in the world um yeah so yeah, yeah i mean I yeah I, I, I just think you know if you want to do that thing great i'm all about it but you know i, mm. I wouldn't you need to really want to do it if, if you're going to do that thing because it's it's hard and it's just going to add a little stress to your life yeah. um so exactly. you, sure. you know follow your passion but Definitely. don't feel the need to fit the mold of uh you know, being the new productivity, nah. um, you know, Instagram influencer or whatever it is. Yeah, no, we, we, we definitely agree. Um, I'm conscious of your time and I know you're super busy. What is in store for Geeky Medics? You've done so many wonderful things. You've got so many cool things. What can we see or what do you hope to achieve with Geeky Medics in the next five years or so? Um, yeah, so five years is quite a long time, I'd say. But um I think re- really what I'm working on at the moment is a combination mm-hmm. of things, which is um, building out, you know, a bigger content library, which has been an ongoing effort for 10 mm-hmm. years. Um, 
so you know new articles new areas that we're covering and uh, new video content once covid is more permitting um, yeah and then on the quiz platform the geekyquiz.com part of the site mm. um building out um some new features around flashcards and quizzes yeah and how those integrate to each other so something coming up soon that i'm working on is is a collection of oski focused flashcards um so i'm hoping to release those in a few weeks time that's what i'm working hard on right now um but i mean it's it's hard to see how things are going to go in the future but really all i want to do is to be able to Mm. deliver most of our content for free to anyone regardless of you know location or device Um, and for that to be high quality community generated content um, yeah. So I'm trying to basically build systems that allow that allow that to happen. Be that editorial workflows, um, you know, yeah. clear guidelines, all the things that you need to be able to scale that I, I failed to do in the early days. I'm sort of trying to learn from mm-hmm. those mistakes now, and uh, mm-hmm. and I'm also planning, you know, on getting some more time for myself because. I've definitely been working pretty hard on on Geeky Medics over the last few years, um, and I have felt a bit yeah. burnt out. So I, I sort yeah. of made a conscious decision that this year I'm going to try and set aside some more time for me to yeah. have some hobbies outside of Geeky Medics, um, just to sort Amazing. of try to counteract that um, that kind of workaholism that can that can creep in, especially when you feel pressure from the community um, to. To keep yeah. pushing forward and yeah. doing things constantly. Geeky Medics has been amazing. I don't think there's anyone out there that can't say they haven't used it in one shape or form. And I do think what you're doing is great. And I do appreciate that you do need to look after yourself because we need you to be around for a long, long time, kind of helping us out. Uh, we feel we've started this journey of kind of trying to help this medical education scene. You know, we're kind of audio-driven learning, which we kind of believe in a lot. Uh, yeah no I, I was checking out your app it looks fantastic yeah so i think a bit of the inspiration of kind of making it quirky and cool and fun came from you in a very subconscious mm-hmm. way and like quality and doing things nicely we're, we're nowhere near where you are like but hopefully we do want to be there and perhaps you know collaborate one day and do something awesome yeah, absolutely but yeah just seeing your drive and ethos and it's nice i think kind of knowing you and kind of knowing your vision kind of getting to know you know how it all started is really inspiring and i'm sure lots of our listeners will find a lot of value in it um, um we normally give a shout out in terms of how do people get in touch with you but you know i don't i don't, I don't want to add to the 700 emails <laughs> waiting to reply to people, guys people can message to... <laughs> um, via the chat box on the website or lewis at geekymedics.com yeah. i'm happy to help although i won't necessarily <laughs> reply immediately but i will reply eventually i promise <laughs> yeah so amazing. <laughs> that's it. Lewis has said himself because I'm not encouraging any behavior <laughs> to, to overwhelm him. <laughs> that, that was from you, mate. Um, but no, it really has been a, a pleasure. Um, and I really enjoyed this. Um, before we kind of wrap up, is there any advice you want to give, kind of having done this journey for the last 10 years um, for other young, budding medical educators, entrepreneurs, GP trainees? Um, it'd be something quite nice to hear from you. Yeah. Um, so probably two things so i think if you are think you know we've just been saying you know don't do a side hustle but now i'm going to tell you how you know how to do a side hustle so if, if you want to do yeah. it so um i think if you are interested in starting up something i think what's what really helped me and i've seen that work in a lot of different contexts is focusing really narrowing down on a niche area rather than trying to start something that's really general and trying to cater to lots of people's needs and and, and do all sorts of bells and whistles. Um, So, you know, by doing that, it it gives you this unique opportunity to compete with more established players in that area um, because you Mm. can really super serve whatever that niche is. So, you know, if you're targeting fourth-year medical students at Newcastle University because you know that there's a particular assessment they have to do there, um, and you can create a resource that's, you know, really focused on that and can really delight that small group of people. You can sort of win over your first, you know, your first 10, your first 20 people who really find what you're doing mm. useful. And and, mm. and once you get to that point, you can start getting feedback from them and then iterate on that feedback to improve the product. And then eventually you'll start to get more people interested and you can think about broadening out 
but I think really being sort of laser focused on a niche that you know well and that you're interested in can be a really um, useful sort of unfair advantage in the early days. Um, mm. And the other thing that I just want to say is that if you get into the sort of starting up a you know a project or a business, you might you see a lot of stuff in the news about people raising money, venture capital, because that's all very yeah. exciting and you know it makes a big splash. But the, you don't always have to go that route, and often it isn't the right route to go for a lot of projects, because you know raising yeah. money from a venture capitalist um, comes with strings attached. You know you need to return mm. a significant multiple on whatever investment you get. Usually they want sort of ten x, um, and they yeah. want you to yeah. you know be enormous or fail completely. They, they don't really want. They, yeah. they sometimes refer to companies that are you know mildly successful say geeky medics as sort of zombie companies mm. which you know they generate some revenue but they're not a rocket ship and they're not really worth the time of the investors having the to have unicorn. meetings with them they're all looking for that unicorn yeah they want yeah. that unicorn mm. um so i mean if you if you're doing something that's really capital intensive that you're going to need that for then fine but don't the other route, and it's a term that I didn't know for a long time, is called bootstrapping. Mm. And that just refers to, yeah, you know, yeah. slowly building up a business by, you know, if you manage to generate a little bit of revenue, you can then reinvest that into the business and grow the business more and then reinvest the revenue. Uh, and the advantage of that is that obviously you maintain control over your destination. Yeah. And you can make decisions that aren't always the most financially, um, sort of, they aren't geared towards growing financially. They could be because you know it's something you believe in or that you believe is right yeah and i think having yeah. that kind of control over your project is really helps with your motivation because you don't have For to sure. answer to anyone and you can make decisions that you yeah. believe are right and i think if i was you know yeah. having to do things based on what some investors were telling me because it was the best way to grow 5x mm. um I, I, mm. I would lose motivation and probably you know yeah. not be interested so you can look at bootstrapping and there's lots of podcasts around that there's a website called indiehackers.com where that's a community mm -hmm. of people building things um, on their own often um, but yeah just I, I wish someone would told me that there was another way because every podcast and everything I read was about venture yeah. capital um, and raising money. yeah and people often and refer I, to bootstrap yeah. businesses as lifestyle businesses as a sort of veiled insult yeah. at times but I'm all about yeah, a lifestyle yeah. business that you know can fit around if the life I want and the training yeah. I want to do. Um, it's not, it, For sure. I, you know, if you take venture capital, often it's all or nothing. You know, you have to be fully in on the business or hundred percent exactly and out of yeah. training. Whereas and, this kind of business yeah. allows you to do both, and it keeps you happy. I think yeah. we, me and Ams, had that discussion of we want to do so many things and we want to have lofty visions and like we're not tech coders. You know, our background is obviously similar to yours in medicine and you know similar to you we had to pay to get the podcast out built out because we really believed in it and it's like i wish we had a bit of vc money or outside money to kind of fund it and then like you said as soon as you go down that route and i'm not saying it's not the best route it's you lose a bit of ownership you have to be all guns blazing you don't get the luxury of being a medic because i think it would be a shame to forsake that stop being a doctor to pursue something else when it is both that kind of give you your happiness. Um, so I'm glad you said that because there are lots yeah. of people kind of building things and so driven to get that VC money that isn't guaranteed, to be fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. And kind of burning themselves out, not yeah. doing too well at med school. And, you know, if it comes, it'll come. But I do, I am the bootstrapping type of yeah. individual as well. And I do find a fondness for it, to be fair. Mm. Um, and to hear you've kind of done that for a long time and probably are doing it now, it's, it's amazing. And just, and just to reiterate, being a doctor is amazing. Being able to do yeah. that job yeah. is amazing. So, um, yeah, being able to do both, even better. Yeah, I think it is getting a bit of stick in yeah. terms of no one wants to be a doctor anymore. And, you know, the pay is not good and whatnot. But I think we fail to realise how, how much of a privilege it is. Yeah. And I think maybe for people that are from similar backgrounds like ourselves who didn't even know medicine means to be a doctor, it probably means a bit different. But I do feel a bit sorry when I do hear people um, say that because um, it really is such an yeah, awesome Yeah, it's an amazing career. thing. And Absolutely. it doesn't have to be everything like it's not everything to yeah. me but it, it does mean something to me and i wouldn't want to leave that yeah, part exactly. of me behind yeah. i do enjoy it but i just want to do other things alongside it and i of think course. you know you don't have that's to pick one or the is, other yeah. is what i'm saying and that's what i'm doing no. So. no exactly sounds good um thank you so much lewis for this it really has been a pleasure yeah it's been fun um, to chat i know it was like a super last minute 
thing, but I'm sure lots of our listeners would love listening to this. A massive thank you to you and a massive thank you to all our listeners.